Hey guys, it's Jesse. It's the new year. Happy new year, everyone. So obviously one of the things that a lot of us talk about when we get into the new year is about improving ourselves, doing life different, not trying to do the same mistakes that we did last year. And a key part of that has to do with self-care. And so while our team is getting some new content together, we'll be back, by the way, in February with a new episode. We wanted to revisit an old episode. It's actually one of my favorites with Chuck DeGroat, where he explores what self-care looks like for each of the personality types. And so here it is. Self-Care and the Enneagram with Chuck DeGroat. The antidote to exhaustion is not necessarily rest. The antidote to exhaustion is wholeheartedness. I remember when I heard that quote, I was driving and I had to pull over. I was on my way to preach somewhere and I literally had to pull over and stop and say, what in the world is wholeheartedness? This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good, the bad, and the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God and everyone else. From Love That Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. 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 To the Enneacast. Welcome to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram. And today, we're actually going to be diving into the topic of self-care. Yeah, this is one of the most commonly requested topics that we've gotten since we've started season one. And so we're really excited to take some space to really dive into what it looks like, what's practical when we talk about self-care. Is self-care even necessary? Like, where where do we fall in this conversation of self-care? Yeah, there's a bunch of folks, you know, that basically fall into a category of like, um, you know, when we start getting into topics of, you know, how you relate to other people, they're like, yeah, but what about me? So Mm -hmm. there's some folks that are like, really focused on making sure that they get their self-care. But there's also a whole other community of folks that really feel a genuine tension about Mm self-care. Isn't self-care just selfish? Isn't it just me looking out for myself and not thinking about other people? Yeah. And so we wanted to be able to explore this uh, more in depth mm-hmm. and to be able to to give folks, you know, some helpful tools for diagnosing where you are in your relationship with self-care, but also a path forward so that you can have a healthy relationship with taking care of yourself. We've given you guys really practical tips and ways forward, and a lot of that has sounded like self-care. And so we wanted to just to create space to dedicate a whole episode to this idea. So joining us today to walk us through this journey of self-care is our special guest, Chuck DeGroat. Chuck is a therapist. He's a professor of pastoral care and Christian spirituality at Western Theological Seminary. He is the author of Toughest People to Love and Wholeheartedness, Busyness, Exhaustion, and Healing the Divided Self. Hey, Chuck, glad to have you with us. I'm so glad to be here with you guys. Yeah, so I have just a question kind of to start us off. You know, for all of our listeners and for us even here in this room, like we might have different definitions of what we mean by self-care. So how would you define self-care? Yeah, great question. Self-care, maybe just a quick definition. Um, I see self-care as an intentional a process of self-examination. And self-examination is actually really old language that goes back in the Christian tradition hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. It's the work of looking deeply at our own lives, at our own stories. St. Augustine, in fact, says in chapter 10 of his confessions, let me know myself and let me know you, O God. And so it's about knowing ourselves so that we can know God more deeply. Uh, so it's an, an intentional process of self-examination. Yeah, that's good. So when people are thinking about self-care, is it is it purely self-care in terms of just examining themselves or is it also a sense of, um, hey, I'm, I'm getting certain things that I know that I need for myself? Yeah, I think it's I think it's both. I mean, it begins with uh, knowing ourselves. And then from knowing ourselves, we uh, engage in practices where we intentionally care for our hearts, for our bodies, for our health, uh, for our spiritual well-being. But it, it really does begin with knowing your own particular dynamics, your relational style. That's why I think the Enneagram is so important to this conversation, because if you know your particular 
uh, ways of, of struggling and sabotaging uh, relationships, if, if you know your particular ways of moving against people, uh, if, if you know the ways that you withdraw in particular kinds of ways from people or from God, you have a better sense of self-assessment and then you can choose practices as a result. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah. Lately, I feel like the culture has kind of shifted what it means by self-care. Now it feels more like self-indulgence. And so mm. um, like what are practices that we can kind of build in? And we'll talk more about practical stuff later on. But yeah, can you just talk a little bit about the practical things to kind of build into a life rhythm? Yeah, I love that because I was just talking to a guy the other day and we were talking about self-care and I said, so what do you do? What are your practices? And he's like, when I'm tired, you know, I just go home and I play like four or five hours of video games. And I said, you know, I don't know that that's self-care actually, you know, that may be closer to what you call self-indulgence. So it's like the mindless scrolling through Instagram or Pinterest or Twitter. It's the hours and hours of video games or Netflix. When I think about intentional practices of self-care, I, th I think first about creating space for silence and solitude and an inner conversation with God. And so what does it look like for us to create space to be quiet? And that can be really frightening for people, particularly if you're used to being sort of chronically busy. Yeah, we yeah. live in an age that really helps us not have to think about deeper, hard things, you know, because a lot of times those thoughts come out of a space of what at first feels almost like boredom. Yeah. And we live in an age where like boredom is the capital sin. That's right. Um, but boredom, you know, it's a good thing. It, it leads mm -hmm. to that deeper terrain. Well, how can we know when we're not properly caring for ourselves? Like, what are some of the uh, the telltale signs that our relationship with self-care is just out of whack? Yeah. Well, ordinarily, uh, life catches up with us. Uh, and what I mean by that is uh, like a woman I was talking to the other day who pushed and pushed and pushed all last fall and got a bad case of the flu. And she said, I just wasn't taking care of myself. And what she meant by that was she was working too hard. She wasn't engaging in regular, consistent spiritual practices. And she wasn't tuning into her own heart. And by that, I mean, she wasn't really paying attention to what she was feeling and what she needed. She was just kind of pushing through her feelings and needs each day to take care of other people. And so it often catches up with us uh, in our health. It may catch up in particular kinds of uh, ways of relating. We might get kind of passive aggressive or resentful or things might start to come out sideways. We might find ourselves uh, drinking too much or eating too much. People generally do this right around the time of the new year. You know, they wake up to the fact that I've been drinking and eating way too much. Yeah, I need to yeah. do something about this. Right. Or Lent. Lent, which uh, which becomes another season for people of of saying, you know, I've been I've been pushing pretty hard. Maybe I need to use Lent as a as a time to think about uh, what's going on in my life and how mm -hmm. I might li live differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So obviously, it's really important that people understand the difference between self care and self indulgence, um, and that we understand that those are not the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, so our goal is not is not to pursue over indulgence of self care, but it's also not to pursue negligence of self care, but to to live as dependent creatures. The reality that the Lord has made us as people that we have needs and those needs need to be met or we will face the consequences because our soul will go get its needs met somehow. Yeah, that's right. What would you say yeah. to the, the camp of people that maybe uh, either deny the, their own needs or are reluctant to engage in self-care because it feels selfish and it, it activates some level of guilt for them? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, that, that's a tricky one because... Um, I experience people who have that kind of resistance. Uh, sometimes it's a theological resistance, but mm -hmm. more often than not, underneath it, there's some sort of psychological resistance. Like there's, what I find always is that there's a story behind that. You know, there's some pain around really looking at themselves and their own needs. And so for me to look at my, my anger, for instance, or for me to look at my sadness, that's just too much. That's just too hard. And so they end up kind of theologizing around it or, or away from it, I guess, in a way that uh, that keeps them from engaging. It's, it's just it, that's that's really sad because the anger ends up coming out sideways or the sadness becomes depression. And it's really, really hard to convince them that, no, it's OK to pay attention, to take a look. 
oftentimes when I, I talk about this and teach on it, I say in the Christian tradition, inevitably with those that you find talking about self-care, if you want to call it that self-examination, it always leads to humility, uh, not grandiosity that you see in the narcissist, but uh, true self-care will always lead you to humility, to, to self-giving love, to self-surrender. Yeah, that's good. That's a striking distinction. Yeah, that is yeah. really good. Yeah, I, th- I feel like there's a tendency, you know, for us to weaponize scripture to to neglect our need for self-care, like the whole denial of self. So can you talk about ways that maybe we can over-spiritualize, like specifically those people that can moral- make self-care a moral issue when really we're kind of getting at a fundamental soul level, psychological, physical issue? Yeah, I've got a piece out there in a blog somewhere um, <laughs> on my website from years ago where I say something like, you, you've got to have a self to deny a self. You know, I, I think that what ends up happening is we don't do the work of sort of discovering our true selves. And John Stott says something to this effect, you know, that there's a true self created in the image of God that uh, we are invited to discover and know God delights in us. God delights in who he created, our true self, but we live out of this false self that we are called to deny. And so you've got to do a little bit of inner work. And again, the Enneagram is so helpful for this because it uses distinctions like the true self and the false self. And it helps us identify our masks, our false selves, uh, the selves that we are to deny. Mm-hmm. Well, talk to me a little bit about some of the common challenges or hindrances to practicing appropriate self-care that you've seen either in your own life or in the lives of others. Yeah, I mean, you just hit on it, but there is a kind of uh, laziness that we all encounter, I guess, in our lives in one uh, level or another, where we just don't do the intentional work of looking at our own lives, looking at our own hearts. I think that that's something that is sort of endemic to each one of the types of the Enneagram in their own ways. You know, there's uh, the, the two is always helpful, is always engaging other people, is always trying to be there for others. You know, the three is always achieving. And we end up becoming sort of like spiritually and emotionally lazy. And so that's one of the major obstacles. We've uh, got to become aware of the ways in which we, we fail to do the intentional work. What are the ways in which we sabotage our own hearts? The other piece of this is just our own stories. I think many of us don't learn at an early age to do this kind of intentional work of looking at our own lives. I have two daughters, 17 and 16 years old, and we've tried to invite them into an honest self-assessment process. But they're, they've got their technology. They've got their shows they watch. They've got their friends. Yeah. They've got school. And so it becomes a little bit difficult, you know, Mm -hmm. but I want to invite them to journal and look at their own lives and to stop and to meditate. Yeah. Yeah. So what Enneagram types do you think are more prone to struggling with self-care now that we're talking, you know, kind of bringing the Enneagram into the conversation? Can you just articulate a little bit about where we might all fall on this category in this paradigm, I guess? Yeah. Well, I think each one of the Enneagram types struggle in their own uh, ways. Uh, That's not to sort of back away from your question. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think we, we classically think about or, or maybe caricature uh, maybe a two as someone who doesn't do self-care well, right? Because the twos are always giving, giving, giving to others. Um, or the three who's constantly climbing the ladder. But each particular Enneagram type has their own way of sabotaging an inner conversation, uh, self-examination, self-care practices. And so... That's one of the tricky things, you know, I'll have friends who are nine say, well, you know, I'm not as busy as, as some others and I feel like I take care of myself. But when we really get down to it, they're not really engaging in intentional self-care. They're simply being maybe passive or lazy. And so we've got to engage in a more sort of earnest conversation about how, how the nine engages this, which is very different than how the two right. or the five might engage it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about this. You know, help help us understand what's really at stake in this conversation. You know, what are we risking when we don't give healthy attention to caring for ourselves, whether that's physical, emotional or spiritual? And can you give us some examples of that? I I mean, what's at stake is our spiritual health, our emotional health, our physical health. Uh, What I see is when people don't take care of themselves, they end up coming into my office at 40 years old and uh, they've got panic attacks, their health is not good, uh, they feel like God is a thousand miles away. And so the, the stakes, I think, are really, really high. But what's difficult is we live in such a busy, 
time, right? I mean, we're so sort of interconnected technologically that we're so often sort of, uh, we're activity addicts, right? We're so often busy that and working and engaged in, in all sorts of different things that we don't intentionally attend to our own hearts and attend to our own lives. But it catches up with us eventually if we don't do the work. Yeah, it's funny, though, because I think we think that we're going to be the ones that are going to beat that. Like, we think, like, that's, you know, obvious on the surface that's true, and we think that's true for everybody else. But when it comes to ourselves, we think, like, oh, that's not me. I'm not the one that's showing, you know, signs of burnout or signs of, you know, deep struggle. Yeah. Um, well, so we've talked through what self-care is. We've talked about what's at stake. We've talked about some of our hindrances and the challenges regarding self-care. But I think now it's time for us to move on to practical steps that folks can do to cultivate self-care. So when we come back, we will be continuing our conversation with therapist, professor, and author Chuck DeGroat. Stay with us. Hi listeners, it's Anna, media editor. Here at Love Thy Neighborhood, we partner directly with local nonprofits right here in Louisville. Over the past seven years, our interns have provided over 130,000 work hours free of charge to local ministries. My name is Celeste Eagle, and I am the volunteer coordinator here at Beside You for Life. Beside You for Life is a pregnancy resource center that provides education and holistic care for women facing crisis pregnancies, responding to their needs, and protecting the lives of unborn children. Beside You for Life seeks to provide a safe and emotionally supportive place for women to hear and experience the gospel while being equipped in very practical ways to live productive and flourishing lives. Celeste told me about how she and the staff at Beside You were able to walk alongside and see one of our interns discern her career path. Uh, she had a particular direction that she was thinking of going career and ministry-wise, and honestly, when she got here, she realized that that direction may not actually suit the gifts that she had, and we were able to plug her into other avenues of the ministry uh, that weren't even necessarily what she originally came to help us with, and she was able to just get some varied experience and uh, ended up heading off in a totally different direction than what she intended, but we had the privilege of kind of seeing her walk through that over the course of a year. If you're a young adult looking for an internship where social action and Christian community meet, check out our website at lovethyneighborhood.org and apply today. Again, that's lovethyneighborhood.org. Hey, welcome back to the IndiaCast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. So now that we've kind of gotten a lay of the land about self-care there, I'm sure that there are many people that are listening that already kind of say like, oh, my self-care is out of whack. So to those people, Chuck, what would you say? What is the way forward? Well, I think I think this is where it's uh, we need each other. You know, we need uh, if for someone who finds himself in a place like that, uh, maybe it's a, a good time to reach out to a pastor, to a therapist, to a spiritual director. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, Every person who cares for the soul of another needs someone to care for them. Mm. And he says, if, if you don't do this, it comes at great cost yeah. uh, to your life. And so the one thing I've, I've learned, if I have, haven't learned anything else, is I can't do this journey alone. Yeah. And uh, I, need, I need someone else in my life. I need a couple of friends in my life. I need a mentor, maybe a spiritual director mm -hmm. to ask specific questions. And again, this is where the Enneagram is so helpful. We often look at the Enneagram as a way of saying, Okay, so how are you sabotaging self-care? How does your Enneagram type actually sort of reveal how you're sabotaging self-care? Yeah, it's almost a misnomer. You know, the anecdote for or the, the way forward with self-care is others. You know, I was yeah. thinking before we started, like, is self-care even the realistic term to use? Because a lot of times I know for me, whenever I'm experiencing like just I feel deficient, my soul feels like exhausted. The anecdote is not to muster up strength in myself. It's to look to other people. So I yeah. think self-care can kind of be hijacked as I have to go fix myself in private to present myself in public. But I think that that can be a really dangerous mindset for people. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we go through seasons, too. You know, one of the conversations we've been having around the Love That Neighborhood offices lately is just even around like capacities. You know, like we go yeah. through seasons where a lot of circumstances in our life are going pretty well and we are getting good sleep at night and we've got really good friendships and we haven't suffered any significant losses recently. And so, like, we have more capacity to do more, to engage more. But we also go through seasons where like 
life just sucks. All it's just that very, very hard. It's just yeah. like the opposite of all that. Yeah. And our capacities yeah. are compromised and diminished. And so self-care needs to look like something very, very different in those seasons. And I think we, right. part of that self-examination is we have to be willing to stop and go, what season am I in right now? Like, if I was going to diagnose, you know, my season of life, what is it? So it's not like a permanent treatment plan. It's like a daily, ever-changing treatment plan. That's right. I love that. Well said. <laughs> um, well, along those lines, like what, what kinds of practical tips do you have for people regarding how to keep self-care balanced in their lives? Yeah. Well, I think I think you put your finger on it. There, there are seasons, right? And so we've got to sort of go at it with a kind of, um, I, I kind of come at it with a kind of diagnostic framework. Like, where are you right now mm -hmm. is a really important question for me. And it's a question that you find in Genesis chapter three, the very first question that God asks Adam and Eve and they're hiding is where are you, you yeah. know, in terms of, of balance here again, it's so subjective, right? So I was talking to someone the other day who, uh, feels like self-care was so rich and so good before he had kids. And now that he've, he's got like three kids under five, it's really, really hard. And there aren't the spaces that used to exist, right? Yeah. And so he went from a season where it was like, I was, I was engaging all these practices every day. You know, I was in, I was doing the daily office and the Ignatian examine and journaling. And no, I do none of it. And so he and I simply talked about what it looks like for him to simply be more present to his, his life. If he can't carve out spaces, what does it look like to be present in the spaces that he finds himself right now? You know, and so it's a different kind of self-care than he imagined. It ha actually has to do less with getting 20 or 30 minutes on his own. And it looks more like being present when he's simply holding his daughter as she's taking a nap. I think that's a really practical diagnosis. You know, seasons of life dictate our capacity to indulge or to experience self-care. So uh, we were talking before the episode started, like single people who are not married with no kids, self-care might look different versus um, a family and, you know, a spouse, you know, a parent relationship experiencing self-care. So um, can we just kind of set expectations of what's realistic? Uh, it feels like there's a temptation to just keep pushing through and then I'll get rest. But the reality is like the things never end. So when will I get rest? Like, can, yeah. can I rest and feel restful or do I just feel anxious about getting right back into work after that? Yeah, that's so good. I mean, I, can I tell a quick story? Yeah. Yeah, please. Um, I mean, early on in ministry, uh, I hit a wall. I mean, I was pushing, 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 and I thought I was resting, but I wasn't really resting. And, and one example of that was uh, we got a vacation away at the beach, and I brought like 14 books with me, and I had mm -hmm. my two kids under two years old. And, like, <laughs> that's, I, not I a, like, that's not a vacation. <laughs> no, no, but I was like, dang it, I'm going to rest, you know, like I my hands were clenched and I was like, let's go rest. Mm -hmm. And, um, I remember the weather was so hot, the pool, the pool was like drained at one point. Cause like a little kid pooped in it. And, um, oh, no. <laughs> and like, I, I wasn't getting my reading in and I was just becoming more and more angry. And I talked to someone when I got back, sort of a mentor in my life. And they pointed me to sort of a wise sage who said the antidote to exhaustion is not necessarily rest. The antidote to exhaustion is wholeheartedness. I remember when I heard that quote, I was driving and I had to pull over. I was on my way to preach somewhere. and I literally had to pull over and stop and say, what in the world is wholeheartedness? I think when we talk about rest, it we do. It is kind of forced. Like I'm going to rest this weekend. Right. But rest looks more like um, watching like 13 hours of football on a weekend, and you just you know you you go back to work more exhausted on a Monday morning. I think wholeheartedness is is an invitation to shalom. It's an invitation to what we're created for. It's a getting back to like our origin story. You know, God made us in and for relationship. He made us to to love, to be enjoyed, to play to delight. And, and I think that when I, I wrote a book on this, obviously, but when I talk about wholeheartedness, I talk about going on a different kind of intentional journey that brings us back to, or orients us back to who we were made to be um, in the image of likeness of God, rather than kind of this forced notion of rest that looks like three hours or 10 hours of Netflix or video gaming. 
Well, what? Let me ask this then. What are some of the like key ingredients you would say that go into a healthy self care? What are some of the common ingredients? Yeah. So number one, I think we we do have to, and this is where the enneagram comes into play. We do have to locate how we sabotage rest, how we sabotage wholeheartedness. And so when we identify with our Enneagram type, we really get a sense of like our core strategy of sabotage. I call these obstacles to union with Christ. My my definition of of wholeheartedness is living in oneness and worthiness in Christ. When we're not living in oneness and worthiness, uh, we're living out of some other kind of relational strategy to get our needs met. And the Enneagram sort of points us to that relational strategy. Like, I'm an Enneagram 1, so I need to be right all the time, you know. Or I'm an Enneagram 7, so I, I need to kind of hop like a frog from experience to experience to experience. So number one for me is identifying how we sabotage the joy that God has designed us for, you know. If we identify the ways in which we sabotage, then we can begin to talk about particular kinds of practices to allow us to kind of live more from our core, true self, um, designed for dignity in God. Yeah. So while we're talking about specific Enneagram types, you know, we may not have time to go through all nine, but I do think that there are commonalities between the nine numbers. So can we talk maybe about the relational posturing categories, like the assertive, withdrawn, dutiful, like, because all of those people clearly have different ways of of dealing and navigating through life. So yeah, yeah, can you articulate that a little better? Yeah. Yeah. So um, in the Enneagram, there are these Hornavian types based on the psychology of Karen Horney, who said, you know, there are three major relational styles, people who move toward other people, people who move against other people and people who move away. So in Enneagram language, we call this withdrawn, assertive, and dutiful. And so there are certain types that withdraw. The fours, the fives, the nines tend to move away. There are some who are more assertive or move against. The threes, the sevens, the eights. There are some who are more dutiful. The ones, the twos, and the sixes. And so Let's take the dutiful folks for one moment. You know, the dutiful folks, they're like, they show up to all the service projects. Like they're at church every Sunday, you know, 20 minutes early. They're very mindful of their doing their devotions regularly. Like that's just who they are. And yet when we get into a conversation about this, sometimes they're sort of like the the elder brother in Luke 15. You know that story, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The elder brother who is like comes to dad after the younger son comes back and and he's jealous because the party was thrown for the younger son. Mm -hmm. And he says to dad, I've been slaving away for you all these years. And you're like, oh, that's heartbreaking because his duty actually kept him from relationship, kept him from intimacy, you know? So when I have a conversation, let's say, with with someone in that kind of dutiful category, we, we sort of have to identify how duty gets in the way of delight, you know, how duty gets in the way of intimacy and vulnerability. When I talk to the withdrawn types, they want to say, oh, I do self-care because I'm withdrawn. And I want to say, no, because <laughs> I'm a four. I'm an Enneagram four. Yeah, same uh, here. Same I, here. Yeah, yeah, me also. Yeah, yeah. So I could easily say, I, you know, I'm a natural at self-care. Well, my, my withdrawing can be selfish indulgence, right? My withdrawing can be a way of becoming uh, ruminating, obsessing on particular ideas or emotions or ideals. And so I need to identify that and I need to kind of find a way to move out from my withdrawn posture into the world with greater presence, with greater joy, with greater delight, with greater humility. And so you can start to see that we we can sabotage in particular kinds of ways around these three relational strategies. Uh, Are the assertive types maybe then just more likely to deny their need for self-care? Yeah. So the assertive types, uh, they go and they go and they go and it's hard to stop them. Right. And so the three achieve, achieve, achieves the seven hops from one experience to the next, you know, planning and, and obsessing about the next thing. The eight, you know, eight has never found himself or herself in a circumstance that she can't control or find power in, you know, and so it's for them, it's more a matter of, of saying, what would it look like for you to stop for a moment? What would, what would it look like for you to move to silence, to solitude? What would it look like for you to identify the ways in which you go and go and go and, and sort of chart a new course? My, my friend who's an eight went on pilgrimage this past summer, and um, he went on the Camino, 
And the Camino actually for him was great as an eight because it allowed him to move. He needs that engagement with his body, but he was alone and he was walking every day, oftentimes in darkness, and he had to be with himself. So instead of uh, being at work, engaged in, you know, all, all sorts of achievement, power control in his workspace, like he, he just had to be with himself. And there were some significant revelations during that time for him as he gave himself that opportunity to sort of walk alone for, for six weeks. But I think you're also getting in this, you're, now you're getting into the even the rhythms of our faith. Like we have a faith that is based on the idea of death and new life. And I think a lot of people believe that self-care is achievable before sometimes even moving into that sort of, you know, I, I say the word death, but really what I'm talking about is pain, uh, moving into a posture of pain. So we avoid self-care in various ways because we don't want to experience pain. I mean, that's natural. But, you know, in the example of your friend, it was in experiencing that pain of being alone with himself and alone with his own insecurities and his thoughts that finally allowed him to move into a deeper space of a deeper communion with God and other people. But he couldn't get, he can't get to that without going through the pain first. Yeah, that's so good. That's so important because I think um, I, I was working with a pastor who was an achiever, was a three, and had sort of baptized that as that's just who God made me as, you know, and, and that settles it. And instead of seeing that the achievement was motivated by a lot of pain from his childhood and a dad who uh, constantly was on him, wanted him to be the star of the football team, all sorts of stuff like that. When he discovered that, it's exactly what you're talking about there was a death that happened. He had to look at his life, look at his pain, look at his sadness, look at some loss, uh, look at the fact that in his pushing and achieving, he had neglected relationship with his spouse and with his kids. And so when we engage our types in earnest, you're right, there's a kind of dying that takes place, but there's a new life on the other side. And we can sort of rediscover a kind of good side of, of achieving if you're a three or helping if you're a two, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. On the front side, it's sort of exciting. It's the Israelites, you know, being led out of Egypt. But then once they get out there, they're like, whoa, this is really painful. This is not as great as I thought it was going to be. But God is saying, you know, go through this, go through this wilderness because I have something far better for you. Yeah. And it's such a transformational journey. It's such an exciting journey when we do this, you know, and there's there's often resistance to this. It's sad. I see a lot of resistance even in the church, um, even among Christians. I, for years and years, I was in the church planning world, kind of a very male oriented, hard charging energy, kind of that kind of world. And I saw many, many uh, pastors burn out. Uh, many, many pastors hit a wall, uh, have affairs, addictions, things like that because they didn't stop to do the inner work uh, to slow down and to ask the question, what's driving this? You know, and I I was just talking to a pastor uh, just the other day, who's about to turn 40 and feels like he's about to become irrelevant, you know, second half of life. And in fact, I asked this person, I said, do you want to engage that question through counseling, through spiritual direction? He's like, I just don't think I have time to. And that's so sad to me when people say that. Yeah. Yeah. Because the stakes get pretty high. Stakes are really high. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this final question, which is just, you know, if you could give any encouragement to the people listening to this podcast that are trying to think through self-care and trying to think about their own relationship with self-care, what encouragement would you give them? Yeah. My encouragement is that when you go on this journey of self-care, life does not become more difficult necessarily. You actually find yourself uh, becoming more free. And what I mean by that is this, I think that when people go on this journey, they think that they're gonna sort of discover all sorts of pain in their life, pain in their childhoods, things like that, that will be a significant burden to them. But the true work of self-care is a kind of a work of unburdening. It's, you know, it's Jesus saying, come to me, all you you who are weary and heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. You know, it's it's actually a giving over of our burdens to someone else. Uh, My encouragement is find someone that you can share your burdens with, whether you call that person your therapist, your friend, your mentor, your spiritual director, someone, someone who will listen to your story, someone who will hear your vulnerabilities, someone who knows your secrets. And I think what we discover in that, both doing that with Jesus and with uh, mentors, 
is that there's a great freedom that we'll experience in our souls. Well, that's wonderful. And, and we fully affirm that and agree. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, when we come back, we will be playing I Know What You Need with Chuck DeGroat. Stay with us. Here at LTN, we believe that in order to be loved, you must be known. And part of being known means understanding who you are, which is why we created Mapping Your Enneagram Story. Mapping Your Enneagram Story is a workbook to help you map your life story and understand who you are. Using the lens of the Enneagram, you'll explore how the story you've lived has made you into who you are and why Jesus is the key to living a better story. To get your own copy of Mapping Your Enneagram Story, just go to lovethatneighborhood.org and click the store link at the top of the menu. There, you'll find Mapping Your Enneagram Story plus all our other Enneagram content. And all proceeds go directly to support Love Thy Neighborhood. So go to lovethatneighborhood.org and click store. Mapping Your Enneagram Story. Find the clarity you need to have meaningful, long-lasting relationships. Welcome back to the NACast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. And now we're going to play I Know What You Need. Okay, Chuck, uh, here's how you play. You are going to be the customer, and Sam and I each have a hand of cards with random things and words on them. Uh, We're going to pair these cards to make an item to sell you. So here's the catch, though. Each round, you are going to be given an Enneagram type as well as an occupation. So Sam and I must cater our items to fit that Enneagram number and that occupation. Uh, We're each going to pitch you our amazing item and why we think you should buy it. And then... You have to choose which one you want to buy. Beautiful. I love it. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Are you you ready? Let's do it. Okay. So I'll give you your Enneagram type first. So you are a type nine. And your occupation, a chef. So type nine chef. Okay. And then... You want to go first? Uh, uh, ladies first, Sam. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. All right, Chuck, as we all know, you are the world-renowned chef. You are also the peacemaker. And so what I have for you is what I call the guilt sandwich. And the guilt sandwich is this custom meal that you can make for yourself because you have all these ingredients, but it'll alleviate the false sense of guilt that you may feel for any sort of mishap that happens in the kitchen or at home or in your personal life. So the guilt sandwich, it comes with a a monthly subscription kit. You can buy a 12 month subscription. I'll send you this box to yourself, kind of like that HelloFresh meal prep box that comes. That's what this is called, except it's the guilt sandwich. $14.99 $14.99 per month, 12 months, $20.99. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds amazing. I love it. Uh, yeah. I think she's also appealing to the fact that nines really love like a good meal. I mean, all types love a good meal. Yeah. Nines like a good meal. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, guilt sandwich. That sounds fine. Whatever. You know, you can get those at any dollar, dollar general. No, you cannot. Um, but <laughs> I am offering you the kitten trampoline. Uh, you know, nines struggle at times to kind of fall asleep to their bodies. So mm-hmm. they sometimes just get a little a little drowsy, a little lazy. They get out of touch with their bodies. The kitten trampoline allows you to instantly generate a trampoline anywhere you want that has kittens on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, keep and, going. This and, is a uh, great pitch. Yeah, because, you know, kittens are... Well, the one you thing know, you need is the, kittens in the yeah, air. Yeah, people need, you know, nines tactile... Uh, they love cuddly things. So it has the illusion of being uh, cuddly and relaxing while actually it, it wakes them up to life. Mm. So if you would like to wake up to life, get yourself a kitten trampoline. <laughs> wow. These are really... That, that's amazing. So it's a guilt sandwich. Is that right? Guilt, yeah. Monthly subscription guilt. box. Guilt sandwich. Oh, a monthly subscription. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so yeah. I, I like a, a lifetime supply of like guilt sandwiches. Yeah. You renew yearly, well, but yes. Uh, well, so, okay, I'm going to assume as a as a chef and as a nine that I've got a strong one wing mm. and um, there's a lot of guilt, there a is. lot of guilt yep, it's um, and a loud, really loud inner critic. 
And uh, that trample, that cat, kitten trampoline thing, that sounds like nonsense. So I'm going to go with the guilt <laughs> yeah, sandwich. Yeah, it does. Thank you, Chuck. <laughs> Man, I, I knew I was a goner the moment that I was like, ooh, she did the existential appeal. I'm, I'm done here. Yeah, so, so, so round one goes to Sam. For round number two, your type is type seven. Type seven. And you are a school bus driver. <laughs> that's not possible for seven <laughs> that's and like that's so boring could you imagine just like just a seven and those i, I must be a really depressed seven <laughs> those kids would be very unsupervised in that environment no it's like the magic school bus yeah. like, oh, like the, the magic most school fun bus. school bus ride of their lives okay maybe if they're like the field trip uh school, it's a party school bus. bus driver it's a party bus a party. it's a party bus okay got it got it okay let's okay. see what i got here i think i have a decent pitch but i'll let you go first okay chuck i'm offering you this incredible offer um you are a joyful adventurous world traveling individual who has somehow found themselves as a school bus driver and what you need in life is you need the escape parachute Hmm. the escape parachute is something that you can wear where the moment that you begin to experience the unfortunate discomfort of all of these little rugrats that are bugging you and bothering you, you can just eject straight out of that school bus and escape and then float down. And not only that, but your escape parachute comes with a homing beacon inside of it that will be set to your favorite restaurant. And so as you begin to land, it takes you straight to wherever it is that you want to be so that you can enjoy a good meal as those children... Crash. <laughs> that, that sounds terrible. Uh, the, 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 bus, bus, the bus has autopilot. Yeah, sure. That feels like a I can, can we just stop now and I choose this one? No. Yes. I mean, this is yes. amazing. I'm no. good with this. Wow. wow. Mine will not. An escape parachute. Mine is so yeah, lame okay. in comparison, but I feel like I'm obligated to tell you. Okay. Yeah, you're committed now. Okay, maybe, okay, maybe. okay, okay, okay. We'll I've spent some time on a school bus in my early days as a youth, and one thing that I hated was the smell. So what I have for you is uniform spray. It's just a mist that that can go off in your school bus because let's face it, you're stuck. You're committed. You've you're a resourceful seven. You've committed to a mundane life. You are doing this routine. You love it. You love your kids, but they're middle schoolers and they smell. And so this uniform spray will dispense from the school bus and will um, you can customize the sense that you would like it to have and it will specifically appeal to the uniforms that your kids are wearing because you can't escape reality you got to just make it smell better. That's a good tagline. <laughs> <laughs> you can't escape reality. You just got to make it smell better. <laughs> wow. I don't know. Wow. I feel like I've made yeah. a pretty compelling argument. I don't know. I mean, I'm a seven, so I like putting band-aids on my problems, you know, but the opportunity to float above my problems with a homing beacon for my favorite restaurant, that sounds pretty amazing. I'm going to go there. Yep. I'm going to go with that one. Yep. Thank Feels you. True. Thank you. You've made the, you've made the right choice. You've made the right choice. Uh, okay. Round. For round three, to see who wins this once and for all, you are a type four. And you're a dad. So you are yourself, and what, what's the occupation? The most special type of all. A dad. Oh, you are yourself. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay, so this is a custom product for Chuck DeGroat himself. Let's see what we got here. Okay, uh, Sam, you can go first. And by that, I mean I will let you walk to your demise before me. Okay, okay. <laughs> Chill out. <laughs> um, so I'm not a four or a dad, but I do understand life. So what I think the remedy is for you, even though your kids may be older, actually, especially now that your kids are older, I imagine that you might be experiencing a lot of stress because now they're thinking through, um, where can I go to college? Like, what, you know, what do I want to be when I grow up? And so there's just a, maybe some different type of stress and moodiness that's happening in your home. And you need a place to store that all. So I'm offering you the stress jar. Oh, It's a set of jars that are beautiful and um, creative and unique. And, you know, they're not just like boring mason jars. They are like handcrafted jars that you can uh, store away your stress in a healthy space. So buy my pack of stress jars. Honestly, it's a great idea. Man, you really were like hitting below the belt there for a minute. You're like, they're all unique and special they, and well, different. Yeah. Jars sounds such like a boring thing to sell. So I have to like clarify that. No, it's a pretty cool thing. Okay. Uh, well, that product's terrible. So uh, <laughs> here, let me offer you the real product on the table. Chuck, what you need in life is passion sauce. Oh, wow. Passion <laughs> sauce will allow you 
to put this special sauce into any meal that you're having and instantaneously in those moments where you're experiencing your existential dread, you're feeling like life has become meaningless, passion sauce helps you see the beauty of life. It doesn't change your life. It just helps you see it with more beauty. Wow. And so... Get uh, lost in the passion sauce. What'd you say? So get lost in the passion sauce. Get lost in the passion sauce. (laughs) You guys are convincing, both of you. Thank you. But um, how does a four not go with the passion sauce? Boom. Wow. Boom. (laughs) Dang. You've gone down, Sam Stevenson. I know. You know what? Let me say this, though, Sam. Your strategy in round one was so good that I decided I was just going to duplicate your strategy in the next two (laughs) rounds. I only won because of you. That somehow is not comforting. That's kind of. So really, Sam, we won. (laughs) That doesn't feel true either. Okay. (laughs) Now it's time for listener questions. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we're going to end each episode this season by asking our guests questions from our listeners. And so let's do that now. This question comes from Clinto14, and they ask, isn't the gospel our ultimate self-care? Do we focus too much on self-care instead of God? Uh, Yeah, good question. Isn't the gospel our... Well, I mean, I think that if you read scripture as a a story from Genesis to Revelation that um, very much includes our wrestling with God, what you understand from it, particularly if you read the Psalms, is that I don't know that you can grow or mature or experience transformation without doing the hard work of looking at your own life. I mean, I think of uh, the Psalm 139, right? Search me and know me, right? Examine my heart. I think of Jesus stealing away time himself um, over the course of his ministry to simply step away and to be in the presence of God. It, it takes both one's own wrestling and and God. And, and that's why the, those who talked about self-examination, self-care throughout the history of the church always said that your own self-care will always lead you to God. But also the reverse is true. As you pursue God, you're going to be led back to your own journey, your own struggle, your own life, your own story. And you've got to do your work on that. So the gospel invites us to do this work. Yeah, and again, the the distinguishing mark there is that you're talking about self-care of our true self, not self-care of our false self. So indulgence indulgence in our false self will lead us away from God, but caring for our true self in Christ will lead us closer to God. And so this, there's a false dichotomy that's made when we say, yeah, 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 why are you focused so much on yourself and not on God? Well, if you're caring for your true self in Christ— then uh, then you will walk more closely with God and other people and yourself. It's just inevitable. Well, uh, let me ask these, these next two questions. So I'm going to ask them back to back because I think that they go together. So the first question is from Abigail Day, uh, and she asks, when does self-care just become escapism? And the next question comes from Nizak Mama, uh, and the question is, how do you distinguish between self-care and being selfish? So the first question is, when does self-care just become escapism? Second question, how do you distinguish between self-care and being selfish? Yeah, similar questions. And we, we talked about this a little bit earlier. I think, you know, when, when self-care becomes something that does not lead to humility, but when self-care leads to, let's just say, distraction or avoidance, th- that's when you know, that's when you know it's a problem. That's when you know it's tending towards selfishness. So, you know, if you call self-care indulging in, in eight hours of Netflix, um, you know, over the course of a weekend, that that may not necessarily be leading to health, to humility, to self-giving love. That might just look a little bit more selfish. Yeah, that's good. Okay, this next question comes from Thomas Walker. Does self-care look the same for each person? Like when we think of self-care, he's giving examples like meditation or exploration, or does it take a different focus for each person or each type? I, I think it it looks different for the different types. And so I mentioned earlier that I had a friend who is an eight who went on pilgrimage. Um, I love contemplative prayer. He, he would say, I have to do something that engages my body. Um, I have to be moving. So uh, for him, it looks like pilgrimage. For me, it might look like um, 20 minutes of centering or contemplative prayer. Um, there are 
active practices that people can engage for self-care. I think going on walks, intentional walks, even going for a run can be an act of self-care, right? Reading a good book can be an act of self-care if it's not a, a way of avoiding. And so, um, and even watching a, you know, a good TV show can be an act of self-care, um, but it's something that we choose. And that's always the, the piece for me is when you do, when you do self-care, you're actually engaging it from the perspective of agency, from the perspective of choice, rather than, man, I'm just so exhausted. I just need to, I need to veg out for three hours. You know, it's like, what, what do I, you're asking the question, what do I need right now? And you're answering that question in the practice. Yeah. So being awake to the self and then assessing That's the right. self instead of just falling into yeah. a default of what feels most comfortable. Yeah. Hey, Chuck, it's been really good having you on, man. We've really appreciated yeah. this conversation. Yeah. yeah. Great being with you guys. So fun. If you benefited at all from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Your review will help other people discover our show. Well, thank you to our guest today, Chuck DeGroat. Go pick up Chuck's books. You can pick up his book, Toughest People to Love and Wholeheartedness, Busyness, Exhaustion, and Healing the Divided Self, wherever it is that you buy good books. Also, check out his website at chuckdegroat.net. You can find lots of very helpful blog articles uh, that will help you dig deeper into exploring your true self in Christ and many of the, the real world practical issues that you encounter on a daily basis. So again, head over to chuckdegroat.net. Also, thank you to Crosspoint Ministry, who trained Sam and I in the Enneagram. To learn more about Crosspoint or to attend one of their amazing retreats, visit crosspointministry.com. Also, the game that we played today is based off a real game called Snake Oil by Out of the Box Publishing. You can find Snake Oil on Amazon or by going to otb-games.com. Our show is a production of Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood is where we provide social action internships supported by a Christian community for young adults ages 18 to 30. Come serve with us for a summer or a year. Grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. Today's episode was produced by myself, Sam Stevenson, and the Rachel Zabo. Engineering and editing by Rachel Zabo. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX. I'm Sam Stevenson. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community.